I don't know how my chair got this way. Somebody must have been uh, trying to say, preach over here. You need to be preaching too? I, okay. Okay. Anyway, let's do this. Let's move that up. Tell you what, let's just move it all the way back here. I don't need it. So we're going to move it out of the way. It wasn't there when I left it last time, so I don't know how I get there. Good to see you this morning in our time of worship together. We're back in the book of Ephesians. We've been there uh, this summer. And as we've uh, looked at the book of Ephesians, we've talked about uh, uh, several things. One in particular is this. The book of Ephesians is about how once you come to Christ and know Christ and make him your Lord and Savior, you have a new identity. And your identity is no longer uh, based upon, uh, you know, how good you look, what job you do, uh, how much money you have, or any of those things. Your identity is in Christ. And it's a new and improved identity in a real sense in that it gives you the ability to live life like you've never lived it before. And that's what Paul's been talking about through the first four chapters of the book of Ephesians, which only has six chapters in it. Today I'm going to be looking at part of chapter 5, and then we'll finish up over the next couple of weeks with the book of Ephesians. Of course, we can't cover every verse in detail, but we'll come back and look at other verses along the way in other series as well. When I was looking at, um, looking at this message for today, and I was reading chapter 5, the first about 20 verses of chapter 5, uh, uh, studying for this about a week and a half ago, and, and I was looking at how Paul would shape this, uh, this, this portion of Scripture. Um, I was sitting there, I was trying to think of a sermon title. That's all, you, always, for me, the hardest thing to come up with is a sermon title. Uh, I can make, come up with points and Scripture because the Scripture itself has those, but to come up with some title is always kind of tough. And I was thinking of the title of Boundaries or something like that because I was t- Paul's talking about some things you'll understand a little bit in a minute. And, and then I was sitting there, and it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was looking out the window a little bit, trying to think, you know, you, you, I don't daydream all the time, but once in a while. And my office is on the corner up here, and I have a window that looks that way and a window that looks that way. I have the corner office. And, and, um, and as I was looking out this window, kind of looking out that direction, 3 o'clock afternoon, pretty busy traffic. All of a sudden, uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon that day, um, I kind of noticed out in peripheral vision uh, this car, this car that's coming down this way. And, he, and it's the person that's in the car, the car actually begins to drift over. I didn't see this. It just happened all so quickly. Drift over. And if you'll notice out here, if you look up here, there's a whole section of this, I don't know if you call them guardrails, but it's kind of guardrails out here. It's kind of a, uh, cables and stuff. The person actually went all the way over that, ran on top of that, and was riding. So I heard this, dum, 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 dum. And so I was going down through, the, through there, taking out a whole bunch of these guardrails, uh, these, these pieces of guardrails and cable. And then all of a sudden, it ripped off. He'd actually come across it enough. I don't know how he got across it. That's what's amazing. Came across it, and it actually grabbed a hold, if he's going this way, of his passenger side front tire and ripped it all the way off of the car. It's pretty dramatic. It's not, you don't see that every day. And, uh, and, then it, and then he ended up down almost in front of the state police station, uh, barely, 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 uh, in the median, kind of in the median, there's no, there's no guardrails over there, just off the edge of, of the, the, the lane of traffic coming this way. And uh, I didn't see all of that because once it kept past a certain place, I couldn't see it anymore, so I ran out of my office, and Chris was in his office, and said, did you hear that? And I said, yeah, I saw it. And, uh, and so I go outside, and by that time, three or four cars had stopped, and it was a young man, probably college age, and he was uh, standing there and looking at his car like, what happened? And uh, come to find out, I actually talked, his grandma was here in the first service, and she told me later uh, what had gone on. He had been at work since 6 a.m. that morning and uh, gotten off and was tired, and he, he don't remember what happened. He must have drifted off a little bit. 
and, uh, and just went across and wiped out. Luckily, he did have guardrails there, though, that kept him from going all the way across the lane into the other lane of traffic because that time of day, there's all kind of cars coming the other way as well. And so today, what I decided to call this sermon is guardrails because this is what Paul talks about in a sense. You know, now, a guardrail, a physical guardrail that we have out here are the ones that are the big metal ones, which uh, work different ways as well. Basically, this is, the, this is the definition of guardrail that way. A system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas, right? That's a definition of guardrails. And where do you see guardrails around here? Well, you see them in places like um, on bridges. As you cross McCluggage Bridge or 74, what do you have on the, corner, on the sides? Guardrails. Good thing, you know? Uh, some of us might drive right off, you know, if we didn't have those guardrails. You also see them in medians around here. On 116, right here, there's guardrails. And other, on interstate, there's guardrails between the sides that keep you from going not only at, but cross lanes and stuff like that. And then when you get to places that actually have curves, like in Virginia and uh, other places, we don't have much around here. Everything's just straight as an arrow. But when you have curves, a lot of times, you'll have guardrails on the curves. Uh, I'm getting ready, and my wife and I are taking off in the morning to drive to Knoxville, Tennessee, to visit our kids. And we'll drive to Roanoke, Virginia. And then we'll drive from there back here eventually next, the next week. And in doing all that, I'll go through West Virginia. And if you've ever driven through West Virginia on the West Virginia Turnpike, that's not where I live. I live in Virginia now. I used to live in Virginia. Okay, not West Virginia. Make sure you understand that. There is a huge differentiation. Okay, if you don't understand, you don't understand the whole deal anyway. I've been, I've, I've been, I've been offended several times people say I'm from West Virginia. So anyway, if you're from West Virginia, that's all right. We'll pray for you too. But uh, we, made peop- we made fun. You know, everybody around here makes fun of people in Washington, makes people of you know, Washington people make fun of Metamore people, Metamore people make fun of Washington people. I don't know what Illinois people make fun of. Iowa people, I don't know what the deal is. West, I don't know what you make fun of, but we always have our deal. So we had this kind of good-natured battle. You know, we'd have jokes about people from West Virginia, people from West Virginia had jokes about people from Virginia. We had that whole thing going on. So anyway, how did I get off on that? I don't know. But... Uh, but the reality is, is that if we'll go through West Virginia and have these huge, and if you drive through there on a turnpike, there's these huge, it's interstate, you're going 70 miles an hour, and there's these huge curves. And if you didn't have guardrails, you could be in major trouble. If you just had a momentary lapse, uh, you could be way down on a, the way they call them there, haulers. Uh, you'd be way down on a hauler if you, if you didn't, uh, uh, you know, like hundreds of feet down if you didn't, didn't have guardrails. But guardrails are good. They direct you, they protect you. But you know the interesting thing about guardrails I found in thinking about it and studying guardrails a little bit for the introduction here is that guardrails are not placed in the actual danger zones. When the young man came through down through here the other day and he hit those guardrails over there, where were the guardrails placed? They're placed on this side of the danger zone. The danger zone would have been if he went all the way across and, and ran into the incoming traffic, right? That would be the, the, the biggest danger zone. So guardrails are placed just away on this side of the danger zone. You know, on the bridge, the guardrails are not placed in the river, right? The guardrails are placed on the edge of the bridge so you won't go into the river. That's kind of the deal. The guardrails are there for a purpose, and they protect you, and they direct you. And I don't think anybody argues with the logic of guardrails. And to do otherwise would be foolish. But in regard to what we're going to be looking at today, let me bridge the gap here. I have found out so often in life that we need personal guardrails in our life. Because what happens for most of us is this, our greatest regrets, our greatest regrets could have probably been avoided if you'd had some financial, some moral, 
some professional, some relational guardrails in place that would guard against some problems that you, that you have in your life. And so let me give you, a, for today's message, and, and what Paul's going to be talking about in Ephesians chapter 15, uh, chapter 5, verse 15, uh, and following, uh, let me give you a new definition for, in regard to guardrails. This is about personal guardrails. A personal guardrail is this. It's a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It's a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. The challenge for us in our culture that we live in today is that we live in a culture that does not promote guardrails. All they promote is what I'd call painted yellow lines, cautionary lines. Is it harder to go across a guardrail or a yellow line? This is not a hard question, by the way. Okay, yeah, yellow lines. You can, I mean, I, every once in a while, just, you know, like, I'll be driving down and just, ooh, okay, you know, and it's, it's really, really easy to go across a yellow line. I think I'd know if I hit a guardrail, though, you know? But, but the reality is, is that so often culture is, is simply content with a painted yellow line, just simply saying, hey, there's some things over there on that side, danger, but don't worry about it too much because it's not a big deal. Let me, give you some, let me give you some ways that culture does this. Culture, instead of giving us a guardrail in regards to, say, alcohol, they simply say, give us slogans like this. They simply say what? What's the slogan? Drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. That's what culture says in regard to alcohol, right? Now, how does that work? How does that work? Well, it's not like this, you know, a couple of young guys, they go out, you know, and they're, and they're drinking, you know, and they're going like, you know, I know we should drink responsibly, but after, you know, and, and they're so, after you drink and drink and drink, after a while, you're going like, you know, I think we should be drinking responsibly, but I don't care. Because by the time you get there, you don't care, because that's what alcohol has done to you, right? So the whole, you know, drink responsibly thing just does not work too well as far as keeping you from getting drunk, okay? It doesn't really work that well. Uh, in our culture as well, uh, another thing that culture talks about in regard to sex and teenagers, or young people, okay, uh, sex and young people is this, they don't say, you know, don't do it, they simply say things like, well, you know, I was, I was watching a TV show the other day, I was flipping through the channels, and I came across a talk show, there was this, this, this secular psychologist on there, and, and, I, and, and I'm glad I watched it because I got a sermon illustration out of it uh, for a few minutes because this is what his advice was. He was talking about sex and teenagers and giving advice to them. He says, you know, the best thing to do to tell your teenager is wait until you're ready. That's what he said. I'm going like, okay, I, I'd like to be in on that conversation. Two young people go out on a date, you know, and, and, and they're going like, okay. And, and the guy, probably the guy, looks at the girl and he says, are you ready? And she goes, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I'm not really ready yet. But, and she looked, are you ready? And he goes, I was born ready. <laughs> this is what most guys will say. Uh, just to let you know, girls, okay? And, and so the conversation, you know, when will you be ready? Well, maybe two weeks, three weeks. Let's p pencil that in, okay? Let's schedule that then, you know? That's the kind of, is that a guardrail? No, that's a yellow painted line. Let's just wait. Until, and that's the way culture does things. In regards to parents, in regards to parents and telling your kids, it says, you know, parenting advice. Talk to your children about drugs. Is that a guardrail? No, that's a conversation. You know, I mean, I know a lot of parents, their kids are, you know, kids are like gone off the deep end and they're using drugs and stuff and they're going like, well, I talked to them. I talked to them about that stuff. Well, that's not a guardrail. In regard to money, what, is the, what does culture say? There's several things that culture says about it. They say things like consolidate your debts or do not uh, live within your means. 
are those guardrails? No. I cannot tell you how many people come into my office and they have money problems because they don't have any guardrails in their life, no plan in their life about how to stay within a certain boundaries in their life, and they've listened to that. The problem is, some of us will think this morning are going like, well, you know, that's, I'm here, I showed up at church, and, and it's all about this restrictive kind of rules thing. You know, that's what many people think that religion's about. But you know something? I found this to be true in culture. I, I could almost guarantee you if I went to stay on the other side of McCluggage Bridge and I took a survey of everybody coming off the bridge, I bet you I could not find one person who would complain about the guardrails on the bridge. Everybody's glad they're there, Right? Because they know that on the other side, if there wasn't a guardrail and they drove off into the river, they would be in trouble, maybe dead. And so we do believe in the reality of, of, in our culture, in the reality of certain guardrails, physical ones and other things, but we don't place in our life guardrails that direct our conscience and direct our actions. And and when you think about that, this is not a new or original idea that Paul addresses in chapter 5. Because both the Old and New Testaments address this issue, but not in the same terms. Um, but and in chapter 5 of, uh, of Ephesians, we're going to start look, just look at four verses today. Start with verse 15. So if you have your Bibles or your iPad or your phone or your Android or whatever you look at the Bible on, you can pull it out now and turn to chapter 5 of, of uh, Ephesians, beginning with verse 15. And let me tell you the context. The reason we're starting with 15 and not verse 1 is because the context is this. Paul, in the, verses, the first 14 verses of this chapter, has just finished warning against a series of things that we would generally, I think all would agree or, that we should be against. Things like uh, greed, marriage wrecking, immorality, dishonesty. He just lists a whole list of things. You can read the first, um, the first 14 verses there, and that's what he talks about. And then he comes to verse 15. And, and, and in the midst of this conversation, I'm sure some of the conversation that was coming back to him, he warns of the natural and unnatural consequences of these behaviors, to which I think the people would probably say, well, you know, we're with you, Paul, but it's, it's hard to be that good. So how do you do it? How do you, how do you stay away from these problems in life? To which he begins to have this conversation in verse 15. Let's look at this. He says, then, verse 15, be very careful then. Referring back to the previous 14 verses, be very careful then how you live. Now, some of you will have different translations, and some of your translations, it'll, instead of saying the word live, it'll have the word walk, because that is actually a very proper Greek um, uh, definition or a translation of that word. Be very careful of how you live or how you walk. And when I was thinking about how to illustrate this, I was thinking about a strange thing. It's kind of like this. Uh, we have a dog at our house. We have this little dog. He's like 14 pounds, uh, 10 years old, kind of a, I call him, I call him a cat dog. Because he, he's like a cat. He just sits around, does nothing, eats, sleeps, and uh, does his business outside. You know, that's about all he does, like a cat. And so, except cats at least use litter boxes, you know, where the dog, you know. And so my wife and, and, and my son, when we got this dog 10 years ago, when we got him, they trained him. Our dog is incredibly well trained, you know. I mean, literally the dog, I don't know if he's ever had, except when he was sick, ever had an accident in our house, not one time. When he wants to go outside, go to the bathroom, we have this little, we have, he's really short, so we have this, about this tall, uh, you couldn't see down there. Uh, we have this little, little, little thing with, I made out with the arm, and it's got a bell hanging down. He goes and he beats it with his nose and lets us know he's got to go outside every time. He rings the bell, he'll stand there and wait, and if we don't come there within 15 seconds, he'll ring the bell again, stand there and wait, and he goes outside and does his business. Now, the only thing, and I wish now that 
that my wife and son had trained him. Now, see, I have nothing to do with this. Um, my, I wish they had trained him to do one thing. I know a lot of people train their dogs when they have a, we have a big, big backyard with a fence around it so he can wander all around the yard. And, um, and I wish they had trained him, like some people do, to go and do their business in one place. Y'all have, anybody have dogs that do that? Yeah, some of you do. Yeah, I, I, I understand later how important that is. Because now, now, anytime anybody comes over and walks in our backyard, you know, I have one of those uh, giant claw pooper scoopers. And, uh, you know, I go out and try to regularly make sure I police the area. But it's all over the place. And so what do, I, what do we tell people when they come to our house and they're walking around the backyard? Be careful where you walk. <laughs> Be careful where you walk. I don't know if Paul was talking about that or not. I don't think he had, about, had a dog probably. But the reality is he's talking about, you know, he said, walk, and then he says, he says this in the next part of the verse, not as the unwise, but as the wise. And that word literally translates it with your eyes wide open. You know, when you're walking around and going about your business and, 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 and walking around, he said, keep your eyes open. Be aware of what's around you. Walk with your eyes wide open. And then he says this in verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. Literally what this means is, Redeem the time. Redeeming the time. Make the most of every opportunity. He's saying, you know, we only have limited resources in life. Limited t- and time is one of those resources. Now, most of you who are in your 20s or 30s don't think about this as much. But as you get older, you will realize something. There's less time left than there is behind you if you live the average lifespan. I realize that. And the reality is, it's because of that, you become more aware of spending your time wisely. But he says, no matter what age you are, he says, make the most of every opportunity. Redeem your time. He says, most of us wish we could go back and reuse some of the time we misspent walking down paths that were a waste of time, relationships that were a waste of time. He says, be very intentional. If you want to live wisely and not get in trouble, be very intentional with how you use your time. And then he says, he completes this thought with this, with this phrase. Just make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, this was 2,000 years ago, right? When this was written. 2,000 years ago. But even then, Paul understood something. I live in a culture, he says, and we live in a culture in 2,000 years ago, and it's the same today. We live in a culture where we live in dangerous times. And we can't afford to be careless. There's too much at stake. And for us, I think we would all realize that if you we simply follow the way that culture says to follow you with the painted yellow lines that really are no boundaries whatsoever, we will constantly find ourselves going across the yellow line and getting in trouble. But he's saying, be careful, then uh, the days are evil. We do not live in a neutral environment where it's simply saying, hey, you know, it's trying to drag us in a direction we don't want to be dragged in if we're in Christ. And then in verse... Um, Verse 17, he says this, therefore, do not be foolish. He's talked about this before, right? Just a couple of chapters ago, he talked about this whole thing of being foolish. Remember uh, two weeks ago, uh, the, the sermon title was Gentiles Gone Wild. Okay, Gentiles, who are Gentiles? I'm a Gentile. Okay, anybody that's not Jewish in that culture was a Gentile, okay? And, he, and it was about the whole thing he talked about the last part of chapter f- uh, 4. He talked about how they had just got given in uh, to all kind of just perversions in their life. And he says, don't do that. Be like a, a wise Christ follower. So he talked about this foolishness thing. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand 
what the Lord's will is. Now, this is kind of strange, and I sat there and thought about this for a while, and I began to read it and read another context and try to understand what he was talking about here. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Let me deal with the last part first. Um, he says, understand what the Lord's will is. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you guys remember this. Some of you do, because you're still pretty young, and you can still remember stuff. And some of you are really young, and you can probably still there. But in school years ago, you remember when they used to give you, like, uh, uh, that reviews for tests or stuff, and then they would, uh, this is what they did in Virginia, they may not do it in Illinois, I don't know, um, I'm sure they do, um, but they would give you a review for a test, and then you're like fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that, and you'd go around, and, and, and the teacher would ask, I remember the teacher, and she would ask questions like, Bill, except she called me Billy, okay, Billy, she said, what's the answer to number four? And we're doing a review, so we could all say it out loud. Well, the problem is, Billy very rarely knew the answer to number four. And so I would look at her and go like, I don't understand. I don't understand the answer. I don't even understand the question. And it's, it, was, it would seem that Paul was saying here, he says, but understand what the Lord's will is. Like, like, the teacher would turn around and go like, understand. Can you command somebody to understand? That's what it seems to say, right? If you literally translate, that's what it seems to say. But that's not what Paul's saying here. In the context of what he's saying here, in the context of the, of, of, he says, don't be foolish, and what he's saying here is this. He says, face up to it. Un quit deceiving yourselves. You know, you already know what you, you, you have to do. You know, all of us know, he says, what, that we're, we're dancing on the edge of disaster. We don't need any new information. All of us have enough information to make right choices right now. He says, so quit, quit being foolish. Don't be foolish. Take the knowledge, understand what you already know, and apply it to your life. He says, you know, you know what's on the other side of this guardrail that we've placed in our life financially. If you spend more than you make, what's going to happen? You either become a president or no. <laughs> Our governor, could be a governor, okay, state of Illinois, are you going to jail? If you keep doing that all the time, you know there's a guardrail there that says you've got to spend less than you make. And there's actually smarter guardrails, spend less than you make um, and have some margin in your life. That's another whole message, another whole thing in Scripture. But we know that there's problems. He says, you know that. But why don't you just live by that? He said, you understand that. Don't be foolish. And he can go through a whole bunch of different things. He says, now, when, when, he, when he says this, that's like a two-by-four upside our heads. Because all of us, Christian, non-Christian, church, non-church people, all of us have a tendency to play as close as we can to the edge of disaster in our lives most of the time. We play chicken with, with, with disaster all the time. We know exactly where the little yellow line is that, that culture says, hey, this is where you shouldn't go. And we know where the abyss is financially and in different areas of our life. And we have this tendency to get, as close, to get as close as we possibly can, to dance on the edge of financial chaos. That's just, I'm just using finances as one, as one illustration here. We'll use something else in a minute. And for the Christian, how close to sin can we, can we get without sinning? We like to play that game for some strange reason, like it's some kind of a thrill thing in our lives. And Paul's saying to us here, he's saying to us, you know exactly where the line is. And he's saying, you 
live in a dangerous culture which will encourage you constantly to cross the line. So don't be foolish. Act upon what you already know. And then he gives an illustration. The last verse. He gives an illustration. Now, it's interesting to me because, I mean, everybody has our, has our places, and this illustration today doesn't affect me at, hardly at all. And I love it when, you know, you read Scripture and you're going like, well, I'm good with that one. Aren't you, don't you feel good after, you, after you're you know, good with something? You know, that doesn't affect me. That's not one of my issues. I have other issues. We're not going to talk about those today. But, uh, but in regard to this, th- th- this is not an issue that I have, and I'll tell you why. He gives an illustration, verse 18. He's an illustration of how not to dance around a line. He says this, do not get drunk on wine. Stop there a minute, okay? Okay, this is why it's not an issue with me. The amount of alcohol I've consumed in my whole life probably could be in about four of those bottles. And it's basically a few glasses, one glass of wine at a few meals over the last 12 years since I've been in Illinois. Okay, and I haven't, I don't drink. Basically, I don't drink. The reason I don't drink is not because I believe it's a sin. Okay, you heard me right. The Bible, I don't believe, it doesn't teach that drinking is a sin. It teaches something else, though. It does say that drunkenness is opposed to God's will, which is sin. And he says it here. He says, don't be drunk on wine. And the reason I believe this, and that's only one thing, but let me tell you another issue. It's not because I don't drink because I believe it's a sin. Here's my experience with alcohol. When I was about uh, six years old, my grandfather on my mom's side died. I barely remember him at all. And a few years later, my grandmother, who was still in her, only in her 50s, um, met this guy, and she, he became kind of a surrogate step-grandfather. The guy had a lot of money, he had a lot of resources, and my grandmother was really going through a tough time, and he helped her out a lot. He kind of, a surrogate grandfather, he was a great guy most of the time. And the more I was around him, though, sometimes I began to realize he didn't act the same way all the time. And I was young, I didn't really know what was going on, this was when I was like 10 or 11 years old. Come to find out, he was an alcoholic. And he was a mean drunk. You know what a mean drunk is? When he would drink, he just wasn't sloppy, he was mean. And he treated us, me, he treated everybody. And I'm going like, if that's what alcohol does, that's one of my early experiences, I want nothing to do with it. Okay? That's, that's one thing about my experience with alcohol. Number two, when I was in my teens, actually in college, uh, I, I, while I was in college and from that point on in my life, I've been in some sort of ministry. And I've worked at first with teenagers. And, um, and I will tell you that 100% of my interaction with alcohol with teenagers and families have been negative. I have, seen, I have seen myself uh, over the years, wives that got beat up by alcoholic husbands, alcoholic moms that, uh, that abused their kids and, and left them, left them uh, on their own. I've seen teenagers, I've, I've known personally two teenagers because, because of alcohol that died in car crashes. And they were in my youth group years ago when I was a youth pastor. I've seen fights and kids get in jail, and adults get in jail because of that. I've seen date rape because of alcohol. I have seen all those things, and, and, that's been a, and, and, and that may not be true for you, but that's been my experience. In other words, I've never, I've never uh, heard this story. You know, Bill, we just were having so much trouble in our marriage, and then we started drinking. <laughs> and thanks, I never heard that story. 
Or, you know, you know, my son, he was just falling off the map. He was, you know, he was becoming a prodigal. And I told him, son, we need to start drinking together, and then everything's going to be fine. I've never heard that story. Not one time have I ever heard a story like that. And, and, and you know, so that's been, um, I've never heard of, once alcohol was introduced to our life, we lived happily ever after, and everything was perfect. Maybe I just live in a bubble. I don't know. But the reality is, that's been my experience with alcohol. So this, this doesn't, when, it, when Paul said, hey, do not get drunk on wine, I'm going like, amen, brother, preach it. But he could be a lot of other things that he's going to talk about. He just uses this as, as an illustration here, okay? And then he says this. Then he says this. This is what Paul says, and this is what where the, I think the Bible teaches about the whole thing of drunkenness. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You're going, that clears it all up. I mean, I love biblical. Don't you love words in the Bible you don't understand? You know what you do when most people do when they don't understand them? They just kind of go like, well, I don't know what that means, so I'm just going to ignore that. You know? Now, I'll tell you what the word debauchery means in a moment. But uh, before I do, I don't want you to miss the point. Paul is saying, he's saying that getting drunk is a problem. It's, he says it's foolishness. It's dumb. But he says it's not the main problem because it leads to something called debauchery. Uh, according to Paul. So, Paul, in a sense, is saying that, that getting drunk is a guardrail. We don't even want to hit that because it'll cause damage, right? But that's not the main problem. The main problem is if you go over that guardrail, what leads on the other side. It's, and he calls it debauchery. Debauchery. And, so, and that's what he says. Because some of us know, I mean, you don't have to have the same experience with alcohol that I do, and this is just one illustration here. For some of you, the problem is that, that, that drunkenness is not just a guardrail, it's, it's a goal. I mean, there's people here that come to our church all the time. I'm sure, I mean, the Sunday may be the only day of the week you don't drink. Now, hopefully you don't get drunk all the time, but the, the reality is that happens. I, hey, I, I do not live in, in fairyland, Okay. I live in reality. I, live in the, I see the culture of what's going on here, and we have to understand it. For some of you, though, the, the, your whole experience with alcohol is a nightmare because it's become an addiction that you've been fighting with for years. I know that to be a fact in the life of this church. And some are doing well with it, and some are not. Perhaps it's, uh, your life has been forever changed because somebody was drunk. And they killed someone in your family. You may have had that experience as well. So Paul is saying here, he's saying, he said, you know, the thing about drinking and drunkenness is, is a guardrail. And he, and he says, but the bigger issue is it can lead to something. If we cross that line, if we come to that line, we bump up against that, and then we go over the line, it can lead to something called debauchery. What is debauchery? Let me give you a de dictionary definition of debauchery. It's extreme indulgence that results in the loss of control. Extreme indulgence that leads in the loss of control. See, as you read Scripture, and when you re read that, you then understand something. This is not just about alcohol. Because as you read Scripture, you can be, understand that, it, yes, it can be applied to alcohol, but it can also be applied in Scripture to lust. It can be applied to Scripture in regard to greed and to anger and to stuff even into food. We need guardrails, what Paul is saying. We need guardrails in our life to keep us from getting to the place where we lose control and hand it over to somebody else or something else in our lives. 
Because any area of your life where you hand control over to something, something other than God, and you're out of control, that's what, it, that's what debauchery is, extreme indulgence that results in the loss of control. Any area of your life where, where, where you're out of control, God is against. Because, because, it's what he says next. He says, instead, instead of doing this, instead of being drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, he said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Why does he say that? Because it's this whole thing about influence. Who, who, will you, who or what will you allow to influence your behavior and your decisions? The reality is this, folks. Now listen, this is, in, this is the most important part of the message, okay? When you become a believer, the Bible teaches very clearly. When you accept Jesus Christ, not only do you, do you say yes to Jesus, but you say yes to his Holy Spirit, which comes into your life. The Bible says that every person who is a believer has a new source of power in their life it's a person called the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit doesn't just live up in heaven. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you in some mysterious way. Don't ask me how that works, okay? Don't know where it's at in your heart or your head. I don't know where it's at. But the reality is, he's there. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live life in a different way than we have ever lived before. But we have to say yes to the Spirit. We have to say yes to the Spirit. And so God wants to play that role. So, he, he, you know, so when you reach for the remote and you're going to watch something you shouldn't be watching or you head to the fridge and eat something you shouldn't be eating or text her back when you shouldn't be texting her in the first place or you order that second drink and you bump into a guardrail that affects your conscience, you're going like, oh, shouldn't be doing that. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, according to the Scripture, the Holy Spirit doesn't force you to do anything. You're going, oh, I wish he would. You know, it'd be a lot easier. No, the Holy Spirit, when you're getting ready to do something, you, you, and you know it's going to bump into that guardrail and cross the line, which is going to cause pain and agony in your life. You know what the Holy Spirit does? You're getting ready to do something, you're getting close to the guardrail, he goes, <clears throat> Hey, be careful. The Holy Spirit in senses. God working within, not just your conscience, but he gives you the power to not only to respond to that as well. That's the way I see it in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is, is not, not going to force you. He doesn't yell at you. He doesn't scream at you. Ever in Scripture do I see that happening. But he empowers us in some mysterious way to live in a context of, of following God's plan for our life. It's kind of like this. This is what I've observed. We, I don't think any of us have ever planned to mess up our lives. I mean, none of us, when you were standing at the altar, getting ready to get married, we're going like, you know, I'm going to get married, and this is going to be the worst marriage in the history of the world. It's, I just plan it that way. It's going to be awful. I mean, we're going to have awful. Have you had that experience? No, no. I'm doing like, premarital counseling for three couples right now, and, and none of them <laughs> come into my office and go like, oh, Pastor Bill. I'm doing my southern accent now. Pastor Bill, you know, um, uh, <laughs> you know, I, none of them are coming and going like, you know, I know, I, I know I'm just, le this is leading to disaster. <laughs> none of them do that. What do they do? They look at each other and they're going like, oh, this is going to be wonderful. And then I try to bring them back to reality. So uh, <laughs> I'm going like, hey, it can be wonderful, but it's going to take a lot of work. Okay. Okay, I, 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 I have been married, I, my wife and I celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary about a week and a half ago, week ago, week ago. 
last Monday, whatever that was, okay. And, uh, and I knew what it was, August 4th, by the way, okay. And we have a great marriage, but it's been work. She's had to do a lot of work on me, okay? I've needed more work than she has, so that's part of the deal. So the deal is, the deal is, is that, you know, None of us plan, that's just one illustration, none of us plan to, to mess up our lives. But this is what I've also discovered. Most of us just don't plan not to. We just don't plan not to. Nobody plans financial ruin through debt, to break our parents' heart, to fall in love with someone who lacks character and has bad habits. I mean, how many people plan that? To become addicted to something? See, guardrails are how you plan not to. Guardrails are how you plan not to mess up your life. And, and I've heard people say this before, you know, and, and, and I think it's naivety, but they'll say, please don't insult yourself by saying, well, I'll just have faith in God will take care of me. He's trying to. And unless you place guardrails in your life which, which affect your conscience and let the Holy Spirit work in your life, then that's how he does it. He's trying. He got you here today to listen to the message. He, 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 he wants you to place some guardrails in your life. And you're going, like, well, I'll be careful. That is how you be careful. By staying away from the stuff that's going to cause disaster. So guardrails, we need to all have guardrails in our life. Guardrails, once again, personal standards of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. So here's the conclusion, and we'll close up and we'll pray and we'll go home. Guardrails not only protect us, as I said earlier, they direct our lives. I will guarantee you that once you, if you'd establish guardrails, it's not, it's not hampering your life, it is freeing you to live in a way you've never lived before. Because you don't worry about all the other garbage. You don't let culture entrap you in its, its painted line theology. You'll find it, once you establish guardrails, it's easier to discern the voice of God in your own life. And you'll be amazed how you live. But as we conclude today, let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one. What do you need to face up to today that, that you're flirting, you're, you're on the yellow line? Or you may have crossed the yellow line a few times. And you're still right on it. And it only takes just a little bit of a push. And it doesn't take much. And you just keep pushing up. You keep going back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. Where are you there? And, and, and number two, and, and when you're flirting with disaster, what guardrails do you need to place in your life that are not in place right now? What guardrails do you need to place in your life that are not there right now? And financially, I know that Dave Ramsey uh, says, and I don't agree with every, Dave that Ramsey is not God, by the way, okay? He does a great job of doing financial planning, but he, and he does a great job. But one of the things I do agree with him with is this. This is a guardrail he talks about. He says, at the end of a month, if, after you have a couple of months and you're using credit cards and you haven't paid off your credit card bill that month, you know what he tells you to do? Cut up your credit card and get rid of it because obviously you can't control it. That's a guardrail. That's a very specific thing. I know guys, guys, we have a problem, in our, and women have, I didn't, realize, I didn't realize women had as much problem as they do, but guys have a problem with lust. And there's nothing that in, our, in our culture that's more prevalent amongst men than pornography. 
And too many men just take it lightly. And so what we need to do is set guardrails. If it, if it causes a problem, you know, if it gets so bad you can't do it, get rid of your computer. Oh my gosh, I can't do that. You want to you step off the edge and lose your marriage? What's more important, a computer or your marriage? See, we've got to set some guardrails, some, some hard and fast rules in our life that keep us away from the things that cause us problems. And if we don't, if we don't, we'll be in trouble. That's what Paul's saying. He says, you know, hey, you're in Christ. You don't have to live like that anymore. Live as somebody wise who, who lives, makes wise decisions as a Christ follower. And a Christ follower lives with guardrails in their life that's away from the danger zone. And we don't want to bump against the guardrails because the young man the other day that was just down through the road and wiped out half the poles out here. Um, I'm, glad, I'm sure he's glad that he didn't, didn't go over to the other side. Because that would have been a lot worse. A lot worse. Because it was traffic coming the other way, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The guardrails were painful. Uh, wiped out his car. <laughs> destroyed it. But that's better than destroy your life. So what guardrails do you need to set up in your life? Paul's saying, hey, live as a person who's wise. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and what it has to say. We pray that you would just allow us now to uh, learn to uh, be careful, to keep our eyes open, to, to acknowledge that we do know a lot more than we actually do. God, we probably are, in America, probably the most biblically literate culture and know more about your word than any culture in history. But it doesn't mean that we apply it. Maybe, God, maybe we need to hone in on just a few things that, that, that are in Scripture and focus our attention there until we do it. And in doing so, God, it would, it would free up our lives to live a life that's at peace and, and a life that's full of joy and, 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 and less heartache. Oh, yes, we live in a world that's broken, so we'll have some heartache too, not only from, and hopefully it won't be caused by us. It'll, you know, the reality is sometimes we get enough heartache caused by others. But God, guide us right now that we would just uh, follow your plan for our lives, that we would look at our lives and ask, okay, what are the guardrails we need in our life that would enable us to, to live life in such a way that we would not go over those guardrails into the areas of disaster that we know are there? Help us not to simply be satisfied with just painted yellow lines on the road that kind of like are easy to cross back and forth, but constantly just, just really give us no help at all. Help us to live according to your plan, God. Help us to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then, God, help us to, to follow your plan and to listen to your spirit whenever he goes. <clears throat> now, just ignore the spirit, to live according to the spirit and be filled with that spirit, God. Guide us now this week that not only would we know your word as we've heard it today, but we would apply it to our lives this week in some area. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you guys have a great week, and uh, I will see you next week. You don't want to miss next week. I won't be here, by the way, because I'm going to be in Virginia, okay? But we're having baptism next week, and we've got like 10 people being baptized, and, I, and I've actually heard some of the, 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 the stories, and so you want to you hear those next week. That's, there's nothing else. Just come for that. And then Dan's going to preach, too, and it'll be even greater. So see you next week. Have a great week. Thanks.